Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Righteous, ratchet, real. Real, Righteous, ratchet, and real. Real, real. I feel exposed. Okay. Welcome to the Righteous, Ratchet, and Real podcast. This podcast is for people who love God, but sometimes side-eye the church. We're three friends balancing the secular and sacred, the righteous and ratchet, as we discuss current topics through a gospel lens. We might say some things we're not supposed to. But you are probably thinking it anyway. You know how we say in the church. Charge to our head and not our heart. We're going to keep it real. Greetings, good people, and welcome to the Righteous, Ratchet, and Real podcast. We're so excited that you're here. Um, today, we have yet another wonderful guest. Look, we're going to talk to her. We're going to get into it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, but first, I want you to say hey to my co-host. Say hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Hey, hey, hey. That's Dr. Greta and Dr. Takesha. Um, and I am Dr. Renee. And we are just, again, delighted to have you all and the Reverend Dr. Stephanie M. Crumpton. Now, she is Associate Professor of Practical Theology at McCormick Theological Seminary, our beloved McCormick Theological Yay. Seminary. <laughs> so her specialty is pastoral theological metho methodology, rather, and womanist theology. Uh, she has a book, y'all. It's entitled A Womanist Pastoral Theology Against Intimate and Cultural Violence. And that book raises hard questions about the ability of the Black church as we know it to be the place for the kind of healing that Black women need and Black people need. Um, and as she, she does this, not only as a daughter of the church, but as an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. Uh, so fun fact, mm -hmm. Dr. Stephanie <laughs> was one of our professors when we were earning our doctoral degrees at McCormick. And she served on our thesis committees for both me and for Takesha. So she's our peeps, y'all. And we are just so excited that you're going to get to hear from her. So Dr. Stephanie Crumpton, welcome. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's so great to see you all, your beautiful faces. And also, you know, years beyond the degree is wonderful to see all that you all are up to. I love this podcast. I was like, okay, holy ratchet, all the things. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really great to be here with you all. Thank you for the honor of the invitation. Well, we're very excited and happy to have you with us, Dr. Crompton. And uh, as we all know, March is Women's History Month. And so we are well on our way into this month. Um, but we want to hear about some of the Black women sheroes either here or in the ancestral realm who have paved the way for you and the gifts that they have entrusted to you. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think I want to start um, academically with Katie Geneva Cannon, the Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon. I bring her up in this space in particular because... Um, I was in seminary at ITC. I think it might have been even my first or second year. So it would have been 2002, 2003. 
And we were, um, I was working in the Office of Black Women in Church and Society, um, Jacqueline Grant's office. And she was holding a session to honor womanist scholars who had um, graduated from ITC and Dr. Cannon was one of them. And I, um, and uh, Marsha Foster Boyd was there. Um, there were a few others whose names, and I like charged it to my head, not to my heart, whose names escaped me, but there were all these black women scholars um, and they had, not only did they honor them during a chapel session, but they also had like talk conversations at like a round table at lunch. And I remember Dr. Can a conversation with Dr. Cannon and it was brief, um, but it was impactful. And I always remembered her. And then years later, cause I didn't know that that day, that lunch that I was going to be doing work in the academy I had no idea. Um, I really didn't know where I was headed. But years later, when I got my first teaching position, actually before then, while I was coming through my doctoral work, she was one of the people that I would call and say, Dr. Cannon, I do not know if I am going to make it. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she was always encouraging. One time she just told me, just take a break. She knew at that point I had been um, had some time horseback riding. She said, you just go, 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 go ride the horses. The mm -hmm. problem is too big for you right now. It's mm. not at its right size. Go ride the horses and then come back to it. She was right. Mm -hmm. When I got my first teaching job, Dr. Cannon, who was also an artist, sent me a beautiful postcard of her work. Mm. And it was on, um, because, let me get this right. My first teaching job was at um, Hood Theological Seminary in Salisbury, North Carolina. It is not far. I think it's Cannapolis mm. is from where Dr. Cannon was from. And so when she found out that I was at Hood, okay. she sent me a postcard with her artwork on it to say welcome to her home state and that I wasn't very far from her. So that's a long story to say Dr. Cannon um, with her kindness and her clarity mm -hmm. um, was, was definitely large in my mind. Dr. Anita Weems, I'll never forget, she came and preached um, a Women's Day service at Trin Trinity United Church of Christ. She was preaching about the Queen of Sheba's visit to see King Solomon. And she said, the name of the sermon was, girl, you got your stuff? You better go get oh. your stuff. Mm -hmm. And she talked about um, how the text very discreetly says that the Queen of Sheba came with a very great retinue and then just kind of moves on. But mm -hmm. Dr. Weems, being the scholar she is, ex mm -hmm. of course, explored what a retinue was. And that means you come with a whole army. You come bearing mm -hmm. gifts. Right. Mm -hmm. you know, we're like, oh, what's that? It's a military term, actually. Oh, wow. That just kind of, and she was like, girl, this is a woman who had her stuff. Girl, you got your stuff. You better go get your stuff. Mm, <laughs> mm -hmm. you better bring your stuff with you and that really um was a big part of me deciding i was going to go to seminary actually if i as i found out that you could learn how to do that with the biblical text mm. yeah mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. closer to home i would say my grandmother helen mccullough my um my mother's mother helen mccullough my father's mother uh, margaret marie crumpton um, who i found out um when i was doing her eulogy that we shared the same middle name um, and I would say, of course, of course, Toni Morrison and the, the ancestors she created in the person of Baby Sucks Holy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the list, of course, goes on and on, but those are the ones that come to me off the show. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I, um, just hearing about the impact that, you know, Dr. Renita Weems had and, uh, Dr. Katie Cannon had, what do you feel is the gift of womanism to the church? 
Mm. <laughs> and that's a complicated um, answer because it's, um, it's not a gift that's always welcome. Mm. And at the same time, while it's not welcome, some folk know it to be true. So people may protest about it, whatever the gift is, you know, if it's in the sanctuary. But like, catch us in the bathroom and the ladies lounge. We're like, girl, she said it. <laughs> so I think that there's a truth telling that is a part of womanist gift to the black church. And it's a gift, not because it's new, but because it's affirming. You know, womanists are not, some of, some of our work is to bring a new insight, right? Something that hasn't been talked about. That's some of our work. Others of it is just we say what black women have been living, thinking, doing, and dreaming out loud with a in a particular space, which gives it a particular authority, which then affirms what we've been feeling or helps us name what we've been feeling, knowing, and experiencing on the inside. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that, I'm speaking specifically to black women and black women's experience and encounter with womanism. The reason why I say it's a complicated and complex gift is because that gift we would see it as a gift, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the truth now. I didn't always want to be identified as a womanist. Okay. Mm -mm. So let's go and tell that truth. I didn't want to be identified as a womanist. Why? Cause mm -hmm. the patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> those, those women, you know, that, those women, you know, um, and there's a whole lot that goes in defining those women. But mm -hmm. um, I think that the patriarchy, patriarchy has a way of separating from ourselves so that it's hard to see that the thing that womanists are offering mm -hmm. is a gift that mirrors who we are and what we're about. It's tough to see that because patriarchy has demonized so much of that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And made it a bad thing. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's a complicated gift. Um, mm -hmm. And many of us have are internalized right? The values of patriarchy, which are in complete contradiction to the values of womanism. Now, that does not mean that for womanism to be, <clears throat> to be antithetical to patriarchy, that is anti-man, mm -hmm. but it is anti-patriarchy. Mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but because that nuanced difference is oftentimes not discussed, not shared, and there's also a threat, right? Like if you decide you're not going to play by the patriarchy rules, mm -hmm. right? Then you're a little less hard to, harder, you're harder to predict. Right. And definitely harder to control. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the that we keep making, trying to make it available. The, another part of the complexity is that womanists like us, all who have the words reverend and doctor behind our name just on that face value. Hmm. There's a level of privilege that we have um, and there's a level of freedom, even with our own struggles. There's mm -hmm. still a level of freedom by virtue of the educational path that we've had and the exposure we've had mm -hmm. that the average church woman may not have. True. So there are ways in which our work has to be able to remember the why of it in the first place, not just do the work of regulation, but mm -hmm. you wanted to become, you, you, you made the conscious decision to become and label yourself and name yourself as womanist. We became womanist because there was something we wanted to do and we wanted to help 
and share and and for me as you well as you all in your different spaces make room for mm -hmm. right um that is a little um we have to remember that that's why we got into this game and decided to name ourselves womanists in the first place so that we can connect with other black women and with other people who value not just black women's lives, but this perspectives on life that black women bring to an experience. Mm -hmm. and so some mm -hmm. of the challenge around the gift is around those of us who identify, who are academic scholars and who are practitioners and ministry. Um, we have to remember to do the work to stay connected, right? So that we're not giving a gift to these women we're simply mirroring quite honestly who they are or who they can become. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that, I think that's a, I think that's some of the complexities. Mm -hmm. um, and also because patriarchy is also um, womanism by definition by the author, you know, um, Sister Alice is an open lesbian woman, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so not only is it, busting up the patriarchy, it's also based busting up the heteronormativity, right? Mm -hmm. The heterosexism. And um, a lot of us in the church and black churches have been um, shaped and formed in places that don't have a wide spectrum appreciation of human sexuality. Mm. Transsexion, that's them over there. We don't play that. I wasn't raised like that. That's an abomination, right? And mm -hmm. so womanism, because if you're a womanist, I'm not quite sure how you can take words from an open lesbian, let me add one more, pagan woman mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then uh, be very narrow in who you want to apply womanism to when womanism by definition says wholeness of all black people yeah yeah um right mm -hmm. and so that is another piece that sexuality piece makes the gift complicated mm -hmm. right um because uh, because of homophobia transphobia right heteronormativity mm -hmm. um and then the fear of if that is not a part of your identity the fear of what will happen if you are identified as allying with those mm -hmm. So I was terribly homophobic when I first started seminary. Didn't want to be, I, and so here's also another collapse because Alice Walker, right, is an out lesbian pagan um, woman, self-identified on all of that. I didn't want to be in my homophobia, misidentified as a lesbian, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a lot of, a lot that womanism puts in people's faces mm. that makes it a complicated gift. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. um, I would say there's a lot of gifts, but there's a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. I thought my phone was off. terrible. I thought um, there's a lot of responsibility that has to come with that. Right. Right. You don't just uh, when you give a gift that you intend for somebody to receive, you got to make sure. That it's first of all, that you give it without expectation. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can't fix you over the head with this. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and you got to be willing to also sit with somebody in the tension who might be like, well, why'd you give me this gift? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's one thing to give a gift and then drop it and walk off. 
Right. But if you don't walk off and they continue to challenge you about it, it's actually an invitation. Hmm. Because they could just say, keep that to yourself. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. But if they stay in it, there's a responsibility for us to also figure out ways to be in it with them. So it's not just like a, I love gifts. I love shiny things and bows and ribbons and all those mm-hmm. things. It's not that kind of a gift. Mm-hmm. It's maybe a, the gift that's um, got the jewel inside that we have to work with and learn how to adjust to what it feels like to wear that kind of a jewel. Mm-hmm. If so- I'm not taking out the box. I so, like that you named okay. it. I'm sorry, Greta. No, I like that you named it that it's a gift to be given, but it's also um, it's mirroring in a way that allows us to also like drink from the cup too. Like we also get yeah. to partake in it. So it's not us giving it to them. It is a we us kind of kind of situation. Sometimes um, it feels like that, but other times I'd be like, nah, this is all new, right, Jim? Mm. <laughs> I'm going to have to eat my Wheaties for this haul right here. Mm. <laughs> sometimes. But you, uh, but you, I, I appreciate you raising that. That like, But uh, child, sometimes I'd be like, woo-wee. And that's the part. Up. That's the part I want to ask about. Because you mentioned that, you know, it's a gift, but sometimes there's a responsibility that goes with it. And even in receiving it, there could be issues because of what it puts in people's face because of all that's wrapped up in the gift. So how did you begin to process having the gift and to, and to pull back the layers to receive what womanism is? You know, now that, cause that's been a long time since I actually thought back to when that really started, there were two major times when that kind of started to shake shape for me. And I was in seminary working in Dr. Grant's office mm-hmm. and then further working on my doctoral work around my um, my dissertation. And I want to say it helped to have a, I mean, it was a whole actual office that mm-hmm. we worked in. And it was, there were several women in the office who had taken okay. this journey. So mm-hmm. there were women to talk to about this. Mentors. Right? Mentors are just co-workers or people were just, okay. we're, and, and, and there were all, I was a student worker and there were other student workers. So we were trying to figure this thing out. Like, yeah. what is this? You know, is mm-hmm. this all right? Or I think it's all right. Or Ooh, what am I going to do? How is this going to go when I go back home? You know, so mm-hmm. it was community, right? Mm-hmm. With other students who were also trying to figure it out. So the mentors yeah. clearly were there, but it was really the environment. Okay. Right. Um, I mm-hmm. remember Dr. Grant's office was literally like at the far. It was kind of like at the far end of campus. So it's almost like it was in a, its kind of own little space. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I think was a beautiful thing, you know, and really necessary to have this kind of sense of stepping away. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, again, going <laughs> going back to Alice Walker's original definition that not a separatist except in times of health. Mm-hmm. And for her own wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're in, for me, I was at the Interdenominational Theological Center, whose primary point of reference is the historic Black church, mm-hmm. which is not traditionally a very liberative space for mm-hmm. black, anyone who is not a Black, a straight Black man. Let me just say right. that. Yeah. Right. 
And so, you know, this is a seminary. And that, let me just say also, ITC is one of the best training grounds for liberation theology. Let me be real clear about that. And at the same time, its primary points of connection are maybe some less liberative spaces. Hmm. And so it was always, even though I was wrestling in me and my classmates, we were wrestling hmm. with what this thing, it was always good to step away into this space that was decorated, you know, um, and there were, of course, mentors and people we could have. And then BWCS also always brought womanist voices. We were surrounded by living mm -hmm. text and material, right, um, that helped us do, do the exploring. So I would say community, people to, like, try it out with. And, then, you know, those outlandish women, those wild women, you know, the wild women who weren't afraid to be labeled as that woman, a womanist, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Probably one of them now. It's fine. You know? <laughs> okay. So you have um, talked to us about what it means to be womanist. Um, but what also, what it also, what you've also done in your work and in your book is you've talked a lot about intimate partner violence in the Black community and yeah. a, a womanist response to that. So I want to ask you, what do you think um, that the Black church gets right in dealing with intimate partner violence? And what does it get wrong in terms of the way in which we offer pastoral care to those who are in the midst of that kind of situation? That's good. Yeah, you guys, y'all like your little complicated questions, don't you? <laughs> I mean, you know, we just trying to keep it real. We just I love it. I do, I do love y'all for that. Um I'm gonna say that what the black church does get right mm -hmm. is that is the women's ministry. Hmm. Now so first of all, I try to move away from the black church to talk about black churches or black religious life because there's not one black church. Um what I can say is that, and this is what I love about us, This, and this is what I learned in my research for the book, talking with Black women who had experienced intimate and cultural, cultural violence. We will find a space to tell the truth. Hmm. We will find ways, it is complex and mm -hmm. complicated. We will find ways to affirm the bald-faced truth even while at the same time navigating um, efforts to cover up the truth. Mm. We will find ways to mm. live deeply into double consciousness, mm. um, which at times can be confusing. And at the same time, that confusion, that mixed messaging can be life-saving. Let me give an example. We, somebody may be preaching something that is very misogynistic and harmful to women from the pulpit. And that could be a man or a woman, cat, rat, whoever. True. <laughs> um, and we might be like, say so, amen. Be in that bathroom and mm. be like, I see them bruises on your arm. Come here, let's talk about this. Or we might not say nothing but might slide some money mm. and people keep sliding money that gets to be part of the, the runaway fund. Hmm. Altar call. Hmm. 
there are people who do intercessory prayer where when we don't name what it is, there are people who know what it is mm -hmm. and they know because they've seen it, they lived it, they've observed it and they speak to that. Right. Mm -hmm. These are the things these are. These, that's why I talk about this kind of double consciousness, mm -hmm. double talk, um, subversive way of being in the church. And there are men who will also participate in that subversion. Right. Um, the flip side of that subversion is the fact that we have to be subversive about something that is so dangerous and harmful to the entire community. Right. Um, so what I would say, what the black church, what black congregations, what black black spaces, because it doesn't just happen in the church. Mm -hmm. um, what we do not get right. Is the belief that it is. Everybody in the community's responsibility to uphold first black men's um, mm -hmm. identity over and against those they may be harming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we do not get right, because this may not be limited to black men, is that if there is someone in a position of power, um, especially if that person is visible to white community, that we don't wanna do anything to tarnish that person's reputation, mm -hmm because we don't want white people to think or to know. Meanwhile, whoever is being harmed, mm -hmm. that could be a partner, that could be um, a husband or wife, that could be a child, that could be a community of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They end up taking the hit for needing mm -hmm. to protect against white gaze and judgment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then across the board within black community we struggle and i understand our struggle but we still have to struggle with it this kind of notion that we can only do one thing at a time Ooh. that we can't battle racism while at the same time battling sexism classism homophobia transphobia heteronormativity ageism ableism that there's always that racism gets prioritized so much that we seem to think we don't have enough resources and that everybody, literally everybody that is a black body is equally important, right? Um, that we can't fight against all of those, but it takes some significant deconstruction and reconstruction mm -hmm. right, of our values and our practices to have um, applied DEI, diversity and equity and inclusion within black community mm -hmm. um, and within the black church. I have seen some spots where people are truly trying and mm -hmm. they are not off. They are, let me rephrase, I was, I was about to laugh. I was about to laugh. There are black churches that are doing this work. So let's get, let's also, they are not as common as the ones that are not doing the work, but there are mm -hmm. black churches that are doing the work. Um, there are black scholars, women and scholars, men and women who are also writing and doing different, you know, ways of addressing this, but they pale in comparison to the number of those that don't do the work. Um, and so I think it's important to just kind of think about um, the places where you do see it happening. And one of the places I see it happening, my new research that I'm doing is around care and support of black activists and organizers mm -hmm. and where I do see the work happening right, um, to care for everybody around intimate violence, around racism, classes, all those things is happening 
in black activists and organizing spaces that prioritizing the heal that prioritize the healing of all black people right some of which may be connected to churches more often than not um but i do see it happening there um so I think that that's the long haul version on where do I see the black church gets gets it right and not not so right. That's good. I must have said a lot because y'all got some faces on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! What's going on? Let my me thoughts. ask you a question. What's happening in your minds? <laughs> One of my thoughts automatically went to the protection piece that you said because you know we have that weight on us like Mm -hmm. you know you got to protect the preacher Uh the deacon you know from the critique of white people even though we know they're doing wrong we feel like we can't play into the narrative about black men and who they are like we have to protect them and it is at the expense of women and children and even the community. I mean, I can even think about, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I even think about, you know, the, the sermons that we sit through where they are saying the most outlandish and terrible things that most of us do not agree with, but because of their position, we Mm. refuse to check that, you know, because of, who they are, and we have to protect them at all costs. Church structures make it very difficult for you to live and to Mm -hmm. to express against that, right? And so it's not, I think it's important as you say that, that it's not just like I individually am having a problem disrupting this situation. You're also facing a structure that's very powerful and that there are consequences. Mm -hmm. There are structural consequences Mm -hmm. for acting towards life and in systems and practices practices that do not act towards life right mm-hmm. right mm. y'all have had moments where i just had to walk out i'd be like i can't <laughs> just do you walk. get your purse or do you leave your purse do you leave a dummy no. purse and I think you coming back? <laughs> my coat my purse everything i wanted to well, that was good no. that was good because sometimes you like don't i you know i have prioritized getting there early and sitting on that what make sure i get that seat Mm. on the edge and I look at the program when is the next time we're going to stand up because baby mm. when they sit down I'm going to be in the parking lot yeah. <laughs> I did I was like <laughs> you know and for me because we even talking about the whole idea of womanism and, and the queer aspect of it that you know some people just avoid and act like it, it isn't part of the, the you know the conversation and so the preacher was preaching and I just was like, I cannot. Now, mind you, it was one of my former youth ministry kids. She came in there with her girlfriend and I was like, look, this is going to be my act of defiance. Although he is very well known, I am going to get up and I'm going to walk out with everything in the middle of the sermon. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And you know, she ended up sending me a message and saying, thank you. So it really just even shows how when we make our statements, however they come out, they can be impactful and affirming to other people. Mm-hmm. It's also a lot of like, we have to weigh a lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like sometimes you'd be like, no, nah, I could walk up out of here. But is there another way or, you know, it, it's also really, there's a lot of emotional labor that is involved in making that mm-hmm. decision. Yeah. There's 
You know what I mean? Because like sometimes you can walk out. Other times there are real reasons why you mm-hmm. should not. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And that is a lot of emotional labor when you have to make the should not. Like, how do you care for yourself? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we see in black women in these churches who are doing the both ends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, praise the Lord. Get in the parking lot. Now, you know, that didn't make no sense. That was a lot. <laughs> you better go on. You better bash. Right. <laughs> you better bash right. me head. Think about having later. <laughs> oh, yes. 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 That's what I was saying. Mm-hmm. You know what she said in the voice mm-hmm. of Siri? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Sophia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So something struck in me when you mentioned emotional labor, because I know as women, particularly, especially, we have a lot of that. And that's not to say that black men don't or, or whoever doesn't, but I know we do. So how do we begin to even, and, and you kind of touched on it, but how do we even more so begin to deal with that? You know, what can we do? What do you offer our listeners in terms of how do we deal with our emotional labor as a pastor, care, you know, theologian and, and professor, how, how would you instruct us to begin to care for ourselves with that? I think the first thing to do is to trust what your body is telling you when it happens. I think that's going to be the first, because there's the care that has, you have to, extend to yourself in the moment, which may need to be followed by grace because Mm. you might not be able to do what you want to do. And so Mm. being gracious towards yourself when you're like, why didn't I get up? Or if somebody else asks you, why didn't I? So I want to say that there's a um, starting with our bodies to notice and and labor is real, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just metaphorical, but like we actually do feel it in our bodies. So first, Noticing in the moment what's happening in our bodies, caring for ourselves. And then afterwards, like, where do you feel it in your body? Mm-hmm. Right. So there's the actions to deal with the situation mm-hmm. that needs to happen. But but because we internalize so much of what goes on and we mm-hmm. carry it, mm-hmm. right? Like, people can say and do things. It really is like a gut punch. And it's not like, oh, it's a gut punch. Like, you really feel it. Right in your gut, in your body. And I'm thinking about the amount of illnesses Mm -hmm. that women are experiencing related to trauma and stress, because it's not just, doesn't just piss you off when somebody says something like that. It's stressful to be in those situations. Mm -hmm. So I think the first step is to care for the body, number one, right? Mm -hmm. When you think about the amount of hypertension that is in Black communities, metabolic disorders, so heart disease, diabetes, things like that, Um, a lot of it, some of it, much of it is genetic. Mm -hmm. And then another part of it is it's um, the environment and the situations we come into. So I would say, for one, take care of yourself in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. If you, if it's not gonna cost you the kind of consequences that it could you might need to get up and go do your body the favor of getting up and get the things mm-hmm. go your stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. get your thing get your right yeah. um right. others of it is also learning how to develop your voice so it serves mm-hmm. you in that moment and when i say learning many of us 
had to learn and need or need to learn or continue to learn how to manage our voice in those moments if voice is what's necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're like me, you had you kind of develop two options for conflict. Either mm-hmm. you go from zero to 90 <laughs> or you completely opt out. Mm-hmm. That sounds familiar. <laughs> and there are a lot of black woman stereotypes that really kind of feed that, right? Mm-hmm. So zero to 90, you become sapphire, F you, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. or you become self-sacrifice and you just get quiet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And so learning how to gather yourself Mm. and use your voice or use your body in a way that meets your needs. And like, it really is a learning thing. Mm. So on the workshops to learn how to deal with anger, rage, conflict, stress, and trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So that you don't just sleep it off, eat it off, drink it off. What is (laughs) <laughs> my girl yeah. I drink a little jar holy water it still won't let me go mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. so there are things yeah. really um, we have to start with these bodies because after it's said and done that's the only place we have to operate from yeah. and that labor the knots that the mm-hmm. mama's will find in my neck yes. when I go to get a massage. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And everybody can't go get a massage, but can you take a walk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a class element to the self-care thing, too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. True. Everybody can't take True. days off. What you mean? Right. I'm walking third ship. Where I'm going? Because when mm-hmm. I get off third ship, I'm going to take a nap, get these children together, and then go to my other job. Mm-hmm. So how can we help ourselves take care of ourselves with what we have because right. we have it always, and that's possible. That's part of our healing lineage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do I have that book with me? I don't. There's a new book talking about the healing lineages of Black people. I'll mm-hmm. share it with you so you can share it with other people. Um, uh, but there are ways that we have got to learn how to take care of ourselves, and some of it is the silence. We're just like, not today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're just like, nah, y'all go ahead on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as, clear as, as someone who has just transitioned out of pastoral ministry and has done so uh, in the midst of a turbulent season, um, I will also would just want to add to that, that sometimes we cannot be afraid to jump. Mm. Come on, sis. Because when it comes, just like just like you just said, our bodies are the only place that we have to 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 work from. Like when the body is gone, that's that's it. That we're done here. We're done here. Our work is elsewhere. But sometimes we can't be afraid to to leap because God is always going to catch us. Right? When when there is nowhere else to go, when this when you on the cliff. And that's the only option you have is to stay there in the midst of that mess and that stuff that is trying to take you out. You're right, Reverend. You're right. Listen, baby, you got to jump and just trust that God is going to catch you because if you don't, Uh you will sacrifice your whole self. And nobody will say, 
nothing. Help people. They ain't gonna say nothing. They be like, oh, she was so lovely. They're going to cry at your right. They're going to cry at the funeral and they're going to eat the potato salad and the chicken. Mm -hmm. and go on. Go on, yeah. Leave your loved ones to cry and, and do all of that. But, but you know, in your legacy, yeah. that's it. It's gone. She worked herself to death. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So I, I just want to encourage anyone listening. That's listen, you're just going to have to believe that God is going to catch you if you jump. God is just that big to do it. God is just that big to do that. God is just that big to catch you. And you know, Renee, I'm going to tell you um, what you just said also reminded me of something I had to figure out, too. I wasn't going to jump. Because hmm. for at the time, to jump would be to abort ship. Hmm. And I realized this is my ship. Where am I? No, no, no. I ain't going nowhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We had to, I had to learn how to fight differently. Yeah. I had to learn how to use my voice, right? And like, um, I had to learn not to give up my stuff. I can hear Rita Weems in my head. This is my stuff. No, <laughs> come on, no, no, because <laughs> situations will have you forget it's yours. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, jumping, knowing God will catch you. And then sometimes, no, it's not time to jump. It's time to turn mm -hmm. around and fight. Mm -hmm. And learn how to fight in a way that gives you life. Doesn't mm -hmm. defeat you and leave all kind of blood in the wake. Yeah. There are other ways to fight. And I would say that God taught me how to fight. Mm -hmm. God taught me how to fight. You got to fight, silly. <laughs> I came mm. all my life. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I hear you. Mm. Dr. Crumpton, I'm hearing in my um, heart just a conversation that we had in uh, seminary and, you know, while we were in class and we were talking about the fact that oftentimes Black women especially will say, I don't have the time to do therapy mm -hmm. and you pushed us to say when they say they do not have the time for therapy what do they mean is it actual physical time or they do not have time to unravel what they're mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. that is going to you know keep them from being able yeah. to keep moving and to keep yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. It also reminded me of um, something that Dr. Butler said, where Dr. Butler kind of differentiated, you know, how he teaches pastoral care versus how my white seminary taught pastoral care in the fact that oftentimes, you know, they have the luxury of saying defer, defer, defer to professional right. care. Mm -hmm. And in Black pastoral care, we have to come from it from a whole different perspective. So I want you to speak to those who are listening that may be wondering about pastoral care, whether, you know, you know, they're ready to go to therapy or not. Kind of where do you go when, you know, for your pastor and when do you go for your therapist? Kind of just define that whole mm -hmm. differentiation for just yeah. the average person who's listening and trying to decide on, you yeah. know, what are they going to do with their lives? Because they know that's, something needs to be done. Uh, that's a really great question. I really thank you for that question. Um, 
and it's funny, Lee Butler is one of my mentors. <laughs> I love Lee. I love him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I love that he's sharing the love with you guys. I um, so I always I teach pastoral care, um, and I tell first of all, some of it is the pastor's job to let the people know when to come to them and when to go see the therapist. So that's part of what needs to happen. Yep. Pastors knowing their limitations. There you go. Mm-hmm. And also boundaries, because you do have some pastors who are licensed mental health practitioners. And at, that can get a little tricky for your pastor mm-hmm. and your therapist to be the same person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so first, let's start with the pastors. That's that's home base for me to start with. How is How, how are our religious leaders educating um, their communities about what it is to be well holistically, which mm-hmm. is not a separation between your psychological health and your spiritual health, that they are intertwined, but that they also require different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I think a person can be in pastoral care with their pastor and also be in therapy. And I'm going to add a third one. And also be under the care of a psychiatrist who is also offering them medications that will help them level out so that they can integrate all of this to be well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, so that's I always start. That's a, the theological educator in me, the one who trains um, pastoral leaders always starts there. Now to the people. First of all, um, you go where you are comfortable. And you know the limitations on both of those places. Now, most people, a lot of people of faith have been trained that to go to see a therapist for one. Well, first of all, half of us don't recognize the stuff we're carrying. And we don't realize that anxiety and depression are the reasons why we sleep late or don't sleep at all. We uh, don't realize that that person in our family that we always have to go see and always have to bring them groceries that they're actually struggling with agoraphobia and they won't come out the house because we've normalized it and we didn't have a name for it. Mm-hmm. If we talked about it, we didn't have a name for it. Mm-hmm. Fourth of all, I'm probably going to run out of fingers in a minute. Um, there's a shaming around mental health stigma. Mm-hmm. Right. So half of it is we don't even recognize. We've just been doing such a great job of surviving. We don't even recognize that there is something actually wrong and that life could become different mm-hmm. because if you've experienced it or witnessed it all of your life, this is normative. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, then there's also if you do notice that th- there's something wrong, if you grow up in a family or community that doesn't know what to do. Oftentimes, what we don't know what to do is we silence it or we shame it. And so a lot of people are dealing with shame Mm -hmm. um, around how they're having a hard time. Now, that shame could be compounded in religious spaces by the messaging that if you have your faith is not strong enough. Mm -hmm. So that's the most obvious one. The next one that's a little trickier to notice is. Um, it's just a season you're going through. Now, this season has been for a long time. Now, mm-hmm. hold on. This has been too long. And then how long, Lord, how long? Uh-uh. Hmm. Right? And so, and so there are ways in which we have normalized Black pain mm-hmm. 
because we oftentimes don't know that there could be something else or like when you know that something really is wrong, but because so many people are doing this thing, you don't want to say it. Mm. Even if you're clear that something is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say to someone who is listening, watching, sitting with us, um, if you feel it, it's real. All right. And sometimes we have to go outside of our regular normal circles mm -hmm. to get a different response that affirms what we already know is wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so I would say for anybody who's who's tuned in to you all's amazing podcast. Um, if you know that something ain't right, mm -hmm. but everybody else keeps saying, pray over it. It's going to be fine. Mm hmm. I want you to know that you can step outside of that circle and find another, and there will be people who will build community around you to help you that won't silence you, won't shame you for having a mental health challenge, won't label you, won't make you disabled, right? Uh, won't um, put this all under your faith and make it kind of some judgment from God or some test of your faith. That's another one. Mm -hmm. This ain't that. Right. Um, and so I would say, first of all, for the person just not that, and that's just to get them to say something to somebody, <laughs> be it a pastor or mental health professional. So I'm just working with hey, people, it's all right. You could it's it's okay to be be not okay. Now go find some people who say, Oh, you're not okay. Let's get something done about this. Mm -hmm. Um and so when it comes to distinguishing the difference between your pastor and your therapist, sometimes you don't know what you need. So oftentimes the pastor first point of, point of reference, right? And so I would say that, a, um, and it's tough because a lot of pastors really have not had an opportunity to really do some work, mm -hmm. even just mental health first aid, right? Mm -hmm. like, um, they don't know. Like some of it is like, you can't really fault them because they just don't know. Mm -hmm. At the mm -hmm. same time, I want us to, you got to be responsible. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're a person who goes to your pastor and they don't seem to be hearing you, then that's really good information. They're not able to hear you, but what you know is real. So then maybe you need to go to the men. Don't even spend, don't even waste your time faulting them, being angry with them. You just have to acknowledge that that is where they are, but your need is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Right. And that God will work in the person of a therapist, a social worker. God can work through whoever God says the healing is going to come. Amen. Amen. A psychiatrist, a psychologist, a social worker, a counselor. Yeah. What I will say, you want to go with some people who are accountable to others. Because you got a lot of people running around here talking about I'm a counselor, I'm a healer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They ain't got no accountability. Mm. Mm. Working in a community um, that helps them figure out the best ways to provide support to people. They just out there on their own. I don't recommend it. <laughs> no. Mm. No. Meanwhile, you can go see a therapist. Some of them have no frame of reference and what might want to call you delusional. Right. For saying that you heard from spirit. Now, here's the deal. You could be both. You could be having a psychotic break and hearing from God at the same time. Mm. And so how do we handle both, right? And so optimally, 
if you look out, because there are quite a few therapists who are now acknowledging the gift of spirituality and who are persons who are rooted in their faith, but have space to acknowledge other people's faith. And they bring that and can encourage people to bring that into the therapy session as a licensed mental health professional, right? Um, and then you also have more pastors who are doing things like mental health first aid training that they've been through. And they'll also have the congregation trained on it. And mental health first aid training is to keep the pastor in their role as spiritual advisor uh -huh. who is aware of what mental health challenges can start to look like. And their job is to accompany that person towards getting a mental health provider. Mm -hmm. Right. A long great. answer to your question. But I wanted to cover the bases. I didn't want to just throw the church folk under the bus because I really think um, most church folk, most pastors are doing the best they can. And the church also got some stuff that the therapists don't. And you need it. You know what I mean? You need them both. So I mm -hmm. want to act like the church does not have healing capacity. But every place has its limits. And if we can bring them together in community, it doesn't pull us apart as the person right. who can help. Right. right. It reminds me of that uh, t-shirt, uh, Jesus and Therapy. Look, <laughs> you mean uh, this mug? Uh, it's <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that. Yeah. 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 Multimedia. Yeah. 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 yeah, Jesus and a therapist too. I, I live by that because listen, it takes a lot for this one right here. It takes a lot. Friend, friend. that's a short list. Jesus and a therapist. My list a lot longer than that, friend. <laughs> I don't know everybody that's gonna be on this podcast. I won't go into the full list, but baby, you—that's nice. You only take two. But, but. <laughs> That cup would have to be a big gulp for me to list it all. <laughs> and that's and all I, right. and I, I laugh about it and I share that because it's important to let people know it takes a lot yeah. to keep the wheels on the road. And you aimed about that. Yeah. You gotta be able to talk about, you yeah. know, what's in your backpack to keep you well. Um right. so that other people can start right. thinking about it themselves too. Right. Yeah. I mean, just the level of traumas mm. that we go through, you know, just by the time you get to 30, you're like, Jesus. No. I'm, and I'm sorry to jump in, but Theo yesterday tell me, it's like, Mom, do you, you know, we've been through COVID. We've seen killings on TV. He's 17. He said, we've, and, and this is a conversation he's had with his teacher, you know, in class yesterday. We've seen a lot in just 17 years. We've been through a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, yeah, son, you have. Mm -hmm. Because they've seen and experienced things that, you know. School shootings. Right. It's the Gen X's. It's, that, that, it's the, the group after the millennials who are the children of Gen X. We're Gen X. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. we had it rough. But like. They, oh, God. Millennials, they say some things too. They saw the World Trade Center, mm. right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Wow. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And if we're struggling, right? So, yeah. I'm sorry, Keisha. I didn't mean to cut you but off. That's but, that's you but that's one of the gifts of Black congregations is that in those spaces, we also share resources on how to struggle. Mm. That's mm. one of the. Gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Jesus. All right. Look so what y'all are out here doing. Look at this. 
<laughs> you all are creating this. <laughs> we give God glory. I mean, right. it's only God because, you know, this whole thing was orchestrated uh, in ways that, you know, came, just came out organically. I mean, it was only the Lord. So we're grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful to be here with y'all. This is good. Before you we drop it in the chat, the name of that book, by the way. Yeah. Awesome. Is it there? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Healing Justice out. Lineages, Dreaming yep. at the Crossroads of Liberation, Collective Care, and Safety. Um, and safety. It's an edited volume. It's awesome. Hmm. That's mm -hmm. great. Okay. Thank you, Keisha. We got it. Right. For those who watch the podcast, thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cara Page and Erica Woodland. Cara Page, Erica Woodland, Aurora Levins Morales. Oh, she wrote the forward. Okay. It's really good. Awesome. Adding that to my collection already. Put mm -hmm. that in my car. <laughs> Before we turn you loose, you know we got to talk about some ratchetness. You know who ratchet? Oh, Lord, what is it? Okay. okay, so so we've already what talked this about is who this what? Okay, <laughs> we already talked about Mama Alice Walker and how you know being an out lesbian, um, and 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 you know just her. Hey, you didn't even want to say the word. She was like ha. her. <laughs> I was just self identified. Otherwise, we'd never call her that. She self identifies as pagan. Pagan. Okay, so so with her voice being at the root and some of her work being at the root of womanist thought, womanist theology. Lately though, mm -hmm. Sis has made some comments on her blog uh, in support of JK Rowling, who is openly transphobic. And so, you know, for those of us who do identify as womanist, how do we wrestle with the fact that sometimes our elders in the struggle may not be as evolved or as enlightened as we had hoped or assumed. Because, you know, we have our heroes and sheroes, our sheroes and heroes who we think are, you know, so, you know, amazing and we look up to them, we aspire to be like them. But then when you have something like this, where it's like, you know, it's disappointing. How do we wrestle with that? So what's your take? Yeah, I think I have two areas I want to respond to that about. Um, for one, every mentee has to have that moment of growing up and becoming an adult with their mentor. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Which means you're not going to agree. Mm -hmm. You're going to be vocal in your disagreement. Um. And that is what that is. And I think that, so there's a developmental thing. You have to grow up. Like we're all, we all have to make a decision to become the womanist that we feel called to be. And that's not always gonna be in agreement mm -hmm. with where we started and first encountered womanism. So I wanna be real clear. And Alice Walker does this herself. Alice Walker wrote the definition of womanism. She coined the term womanism, but all she did was put in print uh -huh. a description of what black women had been living, doing, and thinking. Hmm. So though she is known for coining the term and her work is certainly a cornerstone, uh -huh. it is a cornerstone that is actually constructed out of black women's lives. 
So I think it's pretty important to make that distinction that for one, we always have to be willing to grow up and make, um, make that developmental move where we depart from the first place we encountered the most important thoughts and beliefs that um, we'd ever run into. Um, I say that to say, it, it, so first, and then secondarily, and, and that's related to what do we do when we have a very, our, our elders have a, we have a very divergent um, perspective from our elders in, in womanist thought. Mm-hmm. For two, womanism is not actually about an individual. It's not about Alice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her definition of womanism was never really about her. It came through her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is an important piece. Womanism is not about Alice. It's not about personality. It's about um, a set of commitments. Now, I raised the question around her commitment. If she says wholeness of all Black people, does that not include trans Black people? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and this happens, so it, it's happening, the conversation is popularly happening right now related to Alice and her conversations with J.K. Rowling. But this piece around sexuality or anything else has been happening in terms of opinions about what it means to be womanist and your attitudes towards persons who are queer. That's been, and it's especially hot in religion because sex and sexuality are hot in religion, right? It's a hot topic. It's real hot topic with black folk, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think that it's really important to remember what your commitments are. It's mm-hmm. good. That it's about the commitments of the definition, right? And where are you committed and where you disagree? That's what she said, but do you disagree with that? Do you agree with it? Furthermore, how are you could be agreeing, but then how are you interpreting it, right? Because my reading of what she wrote, which by the way, was like 50 years ago, so who knows what could have happened in the evolution of her thought and her life and experience or anybody, but when I look at that, that how does she interpret that? How do I interpret it? I'm actually the one who's responsible for speaking to what I make of how she defined the words, the term womanism. Mm-hmm. And what does that then mean for my scholarship, my teaching, and my community practice, right? As a scholar, it's a commitment to a, a set of um, questions, a line of inquiry around race, class, gender, sexuality, ability, ageism, right, gender. It's a commitment to a line of social inquiry that then impacts my theorizing and scholarship. But when it comes to practice, that had, for me, I have decided that centering that mm-hmm. line of inquiry and also centering it starting from Black women's experiences. Because I can have that line of inquiry and start anywhere. Right. In race, class, gender, sex. You see what I'm saying? But mm-hmm. I'm starting from the specific social experience, spiritual experience, like a lot, you know, the experience of Black women as I contribute to the wider conversation. Because mm-hmm. there's a way in which they can say that womanist thought is only relevant for Black people truth of the matter is what happens when you're having a conversation about global warming and you bring a black woman 
and her experience and the community's experiences that she, you know, community she represents to the conversation. Mm-hmm. What happens when you bring a black woman who is womanist to a conversation about sexuality, inclusive of transphobia? What happens then if she is committed to this line of inquiry, mm-hmm. right? And everybody who's a womanist, though Alice articulated it, first mm-hmm. of all, everybody is not an ally to the um, LGBTQI um, community, mm-hmm. though the author of the statement was. Mm-hmm. Everybody is not an ally to um, interfaith religious engagement. Mm-hmm. You see? Um, and so I would say that's the long answer. I don't have a ratchety answer to it. I just don't. I try not to get stuck in the rat. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I really, <laughs> I just feel like that's what she thinks. But that doesn't have to be what I think. Mm-hmm. I've right. never known that I had to be exactly like Alice. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she ever intended us to be. What mm-hmm. I do think is that people who want to pigeonhole Black women's thought mm. are us to be monolithic and will have a problem when some of us yeah. are LGBTQ affirming and others are not. Now, yeah, yeah. I might go toe-to-toe with somebody, right? Mm. They have that right. I'm probably going to fight you if you're using that right to influence other people. If you mm. want to have your right and just keep it in your house, that's fine. But when you have access to impacting the lives of others, if I'm available, if I'm a part of the conversation, or even if I'm not in in smaller ways that I have accessibility to, I'm going to push against it. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have the ratchet answer. That's funny. That was good. It was a good answer. When you said ratchet, I, let me tell you where my mind went. I'm going to tell you straight up. I was like, are we about to talk about the Oscars? Are we about to talk about Hey Auntie and Sierra's naked dress? Is that what we're oh, talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, hey, if I was shaped like Sierra, I'd be out there like that too. <laughs> okay. Right. Baby, right. she had it all out. Right. Let me tell you something. I got one that said hi, one that hang. I can't go out like that. <laughs> well, and that was if I could, problem. I probably would. Do you hear oh me? Oh my gosh. <laughs> they, they couldn't be Sierra out here. That's right. Okay. I was like, why y'all mad? You mad? You mad because you got one sitting high and swinging low too. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you mad. Trying to say she didn't see. So you just mad. Mm, you mm, can't come out now. You always got to run for your bra when the UPS man come. <laughs> 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 That's as much as I can get. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> thank you. Part of it is also I don't play in these academic streets, baby, because somebody will see this podcast and come reeling back. No, ma'am, you won't. Now I laugh about this dress, but what you're not gonna do? Receipts <laughs> about me being a woman is no, you won't. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. That's good. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. Crumpton, it has been such fun. Yes. It's so good to see you and to just chop it up and just be real. So we just thank you for being on the podcast today. Tell us where people can find you in these internet streets and whatever work that you're working on that we need to know about. 
I'm not that great about the internet streets. I'm going to do better about that. I do have a book that will probably be out towards, it's due in July to the publisher. Um, The working title is called Sanctuary Care Mm -hmm. and the Movement for Black Lives or Mm -hmm. Care and the um, Movements for Black Life. And um, it's due in July, hopefully out um, towards the end of the year, first half of um, next year. It is a labor of love. We've been working on this since Eric Garner and Michael Brown were killed. Um, and I love it. I love the people who have been kind enough to share their voices and trust me with their stories, um, mm-hmm. writing about it. Um, so that'll be out pretty soon. And with that, there'll be a website that rolls out. You know, by then I'll have a new hairdo. You know, I, I'll be all ready. You know, I'll send. I'll give you guys, hey, can I come back and talk about my book with my new haircut? You know, but for now, also people can, I, I, I guess I, I keep forgetting, I actually do have a website, um, stephaniemcrompton.com. Um, they can reach me there too. And I, you also have a Facebook page because I know. Oh, I yeah, Facebook. Yeah, that's right. I was like, oh, I can like Dr. Crompton. Okay. <laughs> that's true. That's right. That's right. I, I'm. You know, it's not an area of strength for me. I um, I, I gotta work on that part a little later, though. <laughs> you know, but Dr. Crumpton, one of my girlfriends just sent me uh, a tweet, like tweet thread that uh, Candace Bembo did about it, and just that whole struggle, right? Of especially when you your work is also you know Christian or religious based, how it can be hard to put yourself out there and feel like you know you can charge and do all that stuff. I was like, come on now. No, that's not it. That's not what it is for me. Okay, I had that problem. (laughs) It's not the Christian thing. Um, that's that ain't it. I um, it's funny. I'm actually not painfully introverted, um, but I actually am an extroverted introvert. And so I Mm -hmm. actually would very much prefer to be in the background. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that is not where my work is taking me right now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a little bit uncomfortable coming out like that. Oh, no, it's not the Christian thing. Like, yeah, I already know that, you know, somebody's probably stoking up the holy oil just at the idea of me crossing the threshold. Uh, <laughs> and there also have been amazing places that welcome me um, into church spaces. Um, yeah, so it's not the Christian thing. It's just I really kind of, contrary to how I come across and how I look, I actually prefer to hang out and um, hang out in the background. But, you know, here we are. Okay. Here we are. Right. Well, Can I say one last thing before you guys Wait. sign off? Absolutely. I love what you all are doing here. I have so enjoyed this conversation. I miss conversations like this. So it's quite an honor to be here with you all. Um, I remember being in, I think, research, one of the classes from um, the right fellowship, um, the right cohort of our DMIN program here at McCormick. I remember you all coming through. I had the honor of reading your um, thesis, and it is just beautiful to watch you all work together. And I've also, because we're also Facebook friends, I see what you're up to in your own worlds and everything. And it's just quite an honor to have been, um, as my mother would say, on the side of the road along you all's journey. So I'm, I'm glad you passed by here, this place. And thank you for the invitation to be here with you all. If you guys are having conversations like this, it's, the world's gonna be, let me phrase that, at least the women folk gonna be better. <laughs> 
And we look forward to having you back on the podcast and talk Absolutely. about the book when it drops. Like that's already yeah. a promise, right? That we having you back to talk about the book when it's it gonna drops. be hot. I'm really excited about the book. Like I oh, have fun. Good. I have fun times in this book. Oh boy, do I have fun saying the words. Awesome. Awesome. Yes, that's awesome. All right. Well, so thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. We just appreciate you. you so much. Uh, may God bless the work of your hands in getting this book out into the world. And so if you have been listening, we are thankful for you. Won't you uh, join us over at the Righteous, Ratchet and Real Facebook page? You know, we are a family over there. We're a tribe. And so we want you to get involved over there and give us your thoughts on this or any episode. And in the meantime, we just hope that you are blessed by what we're doing yeah. in this space. So join us next time for another episode of Righteous, Ratchet and Real. Yes, the live, the live on oh, the yes, live on the 30th. Yes. Come on to the live on the 30th of March. All right, y'all. Thank you, Dr. Crompton. Thank you guys. Take good care. You too.